Wow, what a powerful way to have the story of Jesus' crucifixion uh, read to us. Uh, welcome to this Good Friday service wherever you are in the world uh, watching it. Uh, you join us as uh, Everyday Church as we're going through a series uh, through Holy Week that we've entitled The Death Cure. Phil started it last week where he looked at Palm Sunday. Uh, Phil will continue our series and conclude it um, from Easter Sunday onwards, but today we're focusing on Good Friday. And through this series, we're focusing on Mark's gospel and his uh, passion narrative. So how he tells the story of Jesus' uh, last few days on earth. Now through Mark's gospel, he is trying to answer two massive questions for us. Who is Jesus and what did Jesus come to do? Now the answer to these two questions tell the story of Mark's gospel and they find their climax in the verses that we've just had read to us. Now there's loads that we could unpack in Mark 15, far more than I have time for this morning. Instead, I want to focus on Mark 15, 38. This is actually my favorite verse in the Bible and I wanna share with you why it is my favorite verse in the Bible. Mark 15, 38 reads like this. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And to understand the significance, we need to understand the significance of the temple and the curtain within it. So let me take you through that now. Now, architecture tells a story. The way that we design our buildings tells stories and communicates messages. Uh, when I first moved to London, I actually worked in uh, the Houses of Parliament in the Palace of Westminster. Now, I was working for an MP, but part of my role was to give tours of the building. One of my favourite spots was Central Lobby, which is right in the middle of the building. And there are four entranceways to different parts of the building, and above in each of those entranceways is a different picture of one of the patron saints uh, um, of the United Kingdom. I'll put three of them here for you. Uh, so we've got uh, St. Um, David of Wales, St. Andrew of Scotland, St. Patrick of Ireland and they're each placed in diff different parts of the building. Uh, St. David for Wales is above the entrance uh, to the commons. Um, St. Uh, Andrew of Scotland, well he's above the entrance nearest to the bar. St. Patrick of uh, Ireland, he's nearest the entrance that goes actually through to the exit. But if you look at all three of these old saintly figures in the middle of these three trios, uh, what do you notice about each of them? Can't you see that they're all rather elderly gentlemen leaning on staffs or looking rather forlorn? Uh, let me show you the image of St. George, which hangs above the entrance to the House of Lords, the closest to the royal throne and to power in the United Kingdom. This is the image that they have of St. George, young and in full vibrancy in a suit of armor, sword to uh, the dragon's uh, neck. Uh, subtly, the designers of uh, Central Lobby are communicating to us a story about the United Kingdom through these images. Or actually, if you zoom out of the palace itself, so this is the House of Commons, this is the view that you might be uh, familiar with looking at it from the outside. If we get a bird's eye view, you get a better um, idea of the design of this building. Along the middle of this building is a corridor that I've marked in red here. And at either end of this corridor, there are two chairs that face one another. One is the royal throne, the other is the speaker's chair in the Commons. And actually, the story of English history can be told as a story of conflict between these two chairs. Or I wonder if you've ever seen St. Paul's Cathedral. It looks glorious, again, right in the heart of uh, my city here in London. Now, I don't know if you know, but there's an architectural detail which Sir Christopher Wren, the designer of this building, put in. There is not one dome on top, but actually three. 
So there's the big dome that you see from the outside, which means you can see St. Paul's for miles and miles. But inside, he's also put two interior domes that have the effect that when you're walking in through St. Paul's and you look up, you actually look through one dome to the other as if you're gazing up into heaven and to God himself. And it has the effect of making you feel very, very small. So what about the temple in Jerusalem? Uh, This is a model of what it was most likely to have looked like. This was built by a king named Herod the Great. It was one of the great construction projects of the ancient world. So massive was it that people used to talk about ancient Jerusalem not as a city with a temple, but rather a temple with a city. Uh, The design of it was such that they used bleached white stone so that it would catch the sun and would blind you on approach into the city. Uh, Its walls were so strong that it was used as a fortress when the city came under siege. Uh, The largest foundation stone they found for this thing was 600 tons. They were massive stones. And can you imagine building this thing without mechanized machinery? Now, this whole temple is designed around courts. What we can see here is uh, the biggest court, the court of the Gentiles. This is one where uh, lots of people could enter into. But if you wanted to get into the next stage, this is the sign that would have, you would have seen. Let me translate it for you. No foreigner is to enter within the balustrade and terrace around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his death, which follows. That's a bit stronger than just a polite, please keep out sign, isn't it? Now, as you go through each of these different courts, you go from a bigger size, so, so diminishing size, to ever increasing holiness. So you would go into the inner court, the court of Israel, through the exclusive court of the priests. Within that stood the sanctuary that we can see. At the far end of the sanctuary itself was a place that was called the Holy of Holies. Now this place had immense significance for Israel, for it was the place where the presence of God was meant to dwell. Now separating the curtain from the rest of the, uh, the sanctuary there was a, a temple curtain that Mark is describing for us in Mark 15, 38. There was a historian named Josephus, a contemporary Jewish historian, who reported that the curtain was four inches thick and 60 feet high. He describes it uh, being lavish, like a a Babylonian curtain embroidered with blue and fine linen and scarlet and purple and of a contexture that was truly wonderful. He, He mentions on it patterns depicting, among other things, the heavens and the stars and the planets. This curtain was essentially a massive no entry sign. Only one person could go in there once a year, that was the high priest. This whole temple, this whole journey into the Holy of Holies, it all communicated that God is holy and we are not. God is righteous and we are not. God is pure and we are not. The the curtain exists because God is holy and pure and perfect and we are not. We're all tainted by sin, it infects us all. Now, now, sin is a loaded, and ju- uh, loaded word. It's a jargon word that Christian throws around. One of my favorite definitions is given from one of the, our, all of our favorite German monks, a guy named Martin Luther. And he describes and defines sin as man being curved in on himself. 
Uh, sin here is basically our self-obsession. It's our selfishness that goes after our own needs rather than anyone else's. It ignores God and the needs of people around us. Uh, maybe we've seen um, examples of that with recent panic buying in, in our stores and shops. People more concerned about their own needs than the needs of those uh, around us. And this sin puts a barrier between God in his holiness and us. It puts a barrier between the perfect presence of God and us. Now, I've taken you through a journey in the temple, going through to the Holy of Holies, but in truth, none of us would have been able to get close to that. We would have been way on the outside in the outer courts looking in. The architecture of the temple told the story of God's holiness and our impurity. But Good Friday is the story how God came to find us and to bring us back into his presence. Now it's interesting in his telling of the story of um, the crucifixion and of Good Friday, Mark actually doesn't dwell on the physical pain of Jesus on the cross. Uh, he merely mentions in Mark 15, 24, and they crucified him. But we should remember the torturous moment that Jesus was going through that we had depicted for us uh, just, uh, just now in our service. These horrific images of a man being tortured and brutalized and killed in the most humiliating of ways. And as we remember that scene, we should remember that Jesus did this for each and every one of us. I wonder if you've ever had a moment in your life where someone was willing to take a cost instead of you, was willing to stand in the way of something ahead of you. I had a moment where I, when I was a teenager, I was still uh, living at home uh, with my family. Uh, I was out for a walk with my dad in the evenings, as we often did uh, with our dog uh, that we had uh, called Ebby. Now, I remember walking uh, uh, out on this walk, and we were going around the outside of uh, a bend, and a car came round uh, this bend, and it was going far too fast for the bend, uh, proper speeding through these uh, local back streets. And as it came round the corner, you could actually see the car start to tilt up as if its momentum was going to carry it into uh, my dad and I. Now, I was standing on the inside of the pavement with uh, Ebby on my inside, and my dad was standing on the outside. And in a moment of pure instinct, my dad went from standing on the outside to standing in front of me, between me and the car that looked like it was coming for us. Now, the car did right itself and went on uh, its journey. But you can imagine, for me, I'm left standing there. There wasn't a moment for my dad to think about that. That was a pure instinct that he did out of love for me, standing in the way of incoming danger, that he would take that instead of me. Can you imagine the emotions I felt then as a young man? Not only hearing my dad say he loves me, but, but seeing that, the, the, the action that he was willing to put in the place of that, the sacrifice that he was willing to do. Do you know, when we read the story of Jesus' crucifixion, we too are reading the story of a man who took punishment for each of us. It's a moment full of blood and guts, full of torture and agonized screams. We must never forget the depth of suffering that Jesus endured for us. He suffered for us, he suffered for me, he suffered for you. And so what did his suffering achieve for us? Well, let me reread Mark 15, 37 to 38. 
Those two verses together say, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. So this is the moment that Jesus died. And you can imagine that Mark, as he's writing this narrative, then you can imagine the camera almost goes from that scene and rushes right across the city, just as it did in the scenes that we just watched, to the curtain in the temple, and as it's torn in two from top to bottom, as if with the very hands of God. And can you see the significance of what this means? This mighty symbol of God's unapproachability, this curtain, is torn in two and left on a heap in the floor. This barrier between God's presence and us has literally been ripped apart. A way has been made for us to approach God in his presence with freedom and confidence. There are no longer any no-entry signs for us. And what I love about this verse and why it's my favorite is I think Mark gives us a clue as to to, to tell us again the significance of this verse and this moment in particular. Because there are two tears in Mark's gospel. There's this instance here where he talks about the temple curtain being torn in two. But there's also a moment right at the start of his gospel, right in Mark 1, 9 to 11. Again, I'll put the words on the slide. And here we're reading of Jesus' baptism. This is the only other time that Mark mentions a tear. Let me read it to you. It says, At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now let these verses sink into your hearts this Good Friday morning. Because of Jesus' actions on this Good Friday that we are exploring today, because of his sacrificial death for you, God, your heavenly Father, declares over you too, you are my Son whom I love, in you I am well pleased. Because Jesus died and the curtain has been destroyed, nothing can now keep us from God's presence if we approach God through Jesus Christ. And it has nothing to do with how well that you're doing right now. Your ability to approach God in his presence has nothing to do with how you're feeling in this current crisis. It has nothing to do with how well that you are coping with the current circumstances of my life. It has nothing to do with uh, how your life with God is doing or with others, the fractious relationships that you might have in your life. Instead, I want to encourage you this Good Friday service that you need to learn to see yourself just as God sees you. That is that we are all precious beyond price and for reasons quite independent of any of the usual reasons for attraction that we might have, like status or charisma or beauty or confidence or wealth or wisdom or authority. No, the truth is that God loves us and he delights in us. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, God declares over each of us, if we come to him in Jesus, you are my child whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, we not only hear these words of affirmation and identity, but we too can have the Holy Spirit descend to us. God himself come to be with us and live with us and to empower us to live a life that God has called us to live. Good Friday is the story of a God who came to find us and bring us into his presence. And that's why that we can call a day like today Good Friday. 
Now, before we sing our final song together, I'd like us to take communion together and to pray together. And as we do take communion together, as we take the bread and the wine together, I want to take you through just a a reflection. You may find it helpful to close your eyes um, for parts of this as we go through, but I want to take us on a journey through that temple. We've read that at this moment of Jesus' death, that temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. There is a way now into God's presence. And that as we approach God's presence, we can hear him say over us that we are his child who he loves and in whom he is well pleased. We can hear that for ourselves and we can have the Holy Spirit descend to us. So I wonder if you would take the bread and the wine uh, that you have uh, available. Uh, I have uh, grape juice that I managed to find on a supermarket shelf and some uh, pita bread as well. But I wonder, whatever you have, I wonder if you would take the bread and the wine together. Now, here in these, in these elements, we have a demonstration of Jesus' body being broken for us and of his blood being spilled for us. Now, I wonder if you would take these elements in your hands. And just before you take them, uh, when you close your eyes and come on, just on a bit of a journey with me, uh, p- picture that uh, temple. Uh, picture standing on the outside. Before Jesus, we would have been right on the outside, out of God's presence, looking in, longing to go deeper. And then imagine being called deeper in, being beckoned to go in through all of those courts, through that court of Israel, through the court of the priests. Imagine the doors of the sanctuary being opened to you. Imagine coming and seeing that curtain. And imagine seeing that curtain being torn in two from top to bottom, as if with the very hands of God. Now now look at the elements that you have, the bread and and the wine. And remember, it's because of Jesus' sacrifice, his broken body for you, his shed blood for you, that we can now approach into the Holy of Holies. Why don't you take the bread now and drink the wine And as you do, remember this verse, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Picture yourself on that threshold of the curtain about to step into the Holy of Holies. Take, when you take the bread and the wine now. And as you've taken that, picture yourself then stepping into that holy of holies, into that place where the presence of God dwells. Uh, You may at this point want to put out your hands like this. Uh, There's nothing magic in doing this. I just find it really helpful. It's an an outward image of an inward reality of uh, um, a beckoning to God and his Holy Spirit to come. Now imagine stepping into that place, the holy of holies, and hearing God himself declare over you, you are my child whom I love, in you I am well pleased. Hear those words of God that are spoken over to you because Jesus Christ took on himself the punishment for all the wrong that you have done, all the sins that you have uh, committed. Your father says to you, you are my child who I love, in you I am well pleased. 
And so, Father, in this space, we want to ask, would you help these words sink deep into our hearts? That we would own them for ourselves. That we would recognize and accept because Jesus died for us. That this is how you see us now. And Father, we ask, would you send your Holy Spirit that you would comfort us in this moment, that you would speak to us, and that you would empower us. Father, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, to die for us. And we want to enjoy now your love and your grace, your mercy and your compassion, your peace, which you extend to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this Good Friday service. We're going to sing one more song. And I encourage you to sing it from your heart to God as we declare and sing together about his love for us. Uh, Goodbye, God bless, and stay strong.